don't talk to to your relatives about it. You know, you don't don't, don't talk to your your cousins or your uncles about it. They're just not gonna take it well. They're gonna see you as less than. You know, mm-hmm. don't talk to your employees about it because they're gonna see you as as unstable. Don't talk to anyone that matters about it. Don't talk to your girlfriend about it because because she's gonna get scared. Don't talk to your friends about it because they're not gonna want to talk to you anymore. So yeah, there's definitely a, a whole lot of taboo around it still. there. My name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and I hope better conversations with survivors. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter, at Suicide Noted. And we also have a way for you to leave us a recorded message. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And if you don't want to talk with us, but you want to reach out, of course you can do that too. Now, big announcement. This is our 117th episode. It is also our two-year anniversary Two years ago to the day we released episode number one, it has been challenging, but mostly really good. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, and I want to thank you so much to the survivors, to the listeners, for trusting me in trying to reach this goal, uh, among other things, of helping people feel just a little less shitty and a little less alone. If you're curious about some numbers, we have about 10,000 downloads per month. We have about 89 guests from the United States, 28 from abroad, slightly more women than men. Don't know what that data means, but people like data, so I'm sharing some with you. We'll be sharing some goals moving forward for 2022 and beyond soon. But again, thank you for your support. If you want to support the podcast, in addition to doing what you're doing, there's two things you can do. Well, there's probably more than two, but I'll say two. If you go to Apple Podcast, if you have access to that, and you leave us a rating or a review or both, I don't know exactly why, but it helps people find it. And what that means is when they're looking in Apple and maybe even other podcast platforms, this show is more likely to show up. I know you're busy. I know you're doing a lot of things. Take a moment and leave us that rating or review. It really helps. The other thing you can do if you have an interest and a means is to give us a financial contribution. As of this moment, we are not a nonprofit. We are not even really a business. It's just this bald guy in North Carolina who's got a podcast. There are some production costs and I would like to expand Suicide Noted. And that will take some time and energy and some money. If you want to help us out right now, There's two ways to do that. You can leave us a one-time donation through Red Circle, which is the podcast host platform I use. The other way is to make an ongoing regular contribution. For now, and this might change, but for now, we are using Patreon. There's a link for that as well. There's a few tiers. Each tier has its own couple of perks. This is obviously a longer introduction than normal. Let's get to it. Before we dive in, do keep in mind we are talking about suicide on this podcast, so it may not be a good fit for everyone. So take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today 
On our two-year anniversary, I am talking with Santiago. Santiago lives in Mexico City, Mexico, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Santiago. Hey, how are you? Good. Where are you? What part of Mexico City? And you're in Mexico, right? I'm in Mexico City right now. Yeah. All right. And you're from Mexico? Yeah, I'm I'm originally from here. Um, Thank you for joining me, number one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you are now, uh, now you are the first person, you were right in your email, who uh, I'm ca- talking to in uh, the entire country of Mexico, Santiago. Okay, that's, that feels awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine where you are because I've been to Mexico City. I don't have a lot of memories from it, but for some reason, naturally, we sort of imagine where people are, right? So you're in the city. Uh, your name is Santiago. And Correct. I am assuming, and based on your email and the nature of this podcast, that you have attempted to end your life at least one time. Yeah, once. There was one, one attempt. Okay. Yeah. How old are you? 25. How, how old were you when you tried to end your life? 20. Five years ago. Can we start with, I, I want to ask sort of what led up to it. And that might be starting from when you're two years old, or it might have been the day before. However you want to start there, and then we'll just roll okay. with it. So uh, I was born here in Mexico, and uh, when I was around 10 years old, my father got a job offer in Sweden. So we actually moved to Sweden, and we lived there for about four years. You know, it's it's a pretty hard move for someone that doesn't speak Sweden, Swedish at all and barely spoke English at the time. So uh, I felt pretty disconnected when we moved there. So that's a plus. You know, Sweden is a pretty cold place and pretty dark place as well. So, you know, the depression just kind of sipped in. That's right around when, when my depression started. And then just kind of life happened, you know, graduated, went to went to college. When I was 20 years old, I had this really, really big depressive episode. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going around in my life. You know, my parents were getting divorced. My my sister had just gotten into this really big accident and, and broke both of her legs. So I was just feeling like really, really disconnected and, and overwhelmed by everything. So I just kind of wanted it to go away, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that's from where my depression started to, to the day that I, I kind of wanted to just end it all. Where did you go? Did you go back to Mexico at some point? You must have. You said you were only there for four years. Yeah, I was only there for four years. And then we went back here to Mexico. So what you're t- when, when you're talking about the depression and how it sort of built up over time, your sister's accident, that all happened in Mexico. Yeah, the, that, that all happened here, here in Mexico. Got it. Did you get so while you're dealing with depression and all the other things you're dealing with, did you ever get any or seek any help or did you try to tough it out on your own? I tried to tough it out on a little on my own. Back then there was uh there was this app. I don't know if you remember it. It's called Secret. It was called Secret, actually. I don't think it exists anymore. Hmm. Where you would anonymously post like Facebook, but it was all anonymous. So one time I, I posted that I, I kind of wanted to to end it all through some weird shenanigans i ended up meeting someone who replied to that comment we met up and it, it ended up being this guy who was from the u.s who also had dealt with depression a lot so we met up and we talked about it a lot and, and he was kind of like the only person that i felt i could talk to at the time mm. what's going on at 20 years old that things sort of change and it sounds like the change is a little more dangerous so i was i was away at college you know it was the first time that i was living on my own I wasn't really talking to my parents at the time, except for, you know, finding out that they were getting a divorce. My sister was was recently in, in a car accident, so she broke both legs and she was uh, in, in this constant state of, of being medicated. So I couldn't really talk to her about it. Um, I had this one friend, like I said, from, from the US where I felt like I could somewhat talk about it, but 
you know, was kind of touch and go. And, and also I was just feeling like isolated, you know, like disconnected from everything and everyone. So I just felt like my only avenue to, like stop the pain at the time was just to stop existing you know like i just wanted to, to stop being yeah right i mean that makes sense if that's how you're feeling do you remember that day i had gotten some of my my sister's pain medication because i was supposed to bring it to her but uh, i couldn't see her at the end it was pretty late it was around like six or seven uh, in the afternoon so i just got home to my apartment and i had you know like this this small box of pills uh, of pain pills and i just you know, I, I I really felt this great depression and this really great hole inside of me that I just wanted it to stop. You know, I just wanted the pain to stop. So I, I just told myself that I didn't want to wake up the next day. So I, I took like a handful of them and, and some some tequila and just uh, took them all and tried to, to end it all. Yeah. Do you remember when you took them all, you drank the tequila, you probably don't pass out right away. Did you, was there any regret? Like, I, sh- I wish I could have undone this or you're like, nah, I'm, I'm ready to go to sleep and not wake up. At first, I was okay with it, but then, you know, the overthinking begins and, and you begin to think about your family and, and your loved ones. And, you know, I just started to feel bad for my sister because I didn't want her to blame herself for, for me having access to those pills, you know. So it was a small buildup that eventually led to this big, big ball of regret that I, I just ended up like throwing up. Luckily, my next door neighbor, the, the walls were very thin. So mm-hmm. she just kind of heard me like, like throwing up and, and crying. So she started knocking on the door and then she came in and, and she kind of hugged me. And, and, and then I told her, I told her that what, that I wasn't like, I was having like a really bad stomachache and she just like took me to the hospital. I didn't tell her exactly what I was just doing. And then the hospital, what happened? At the hospital, I did, I did tell the doctors what happened and they, they recommended me some, some psychologists. They, they tried to keep me overnight, but I ended up leaving. That's how I ended up having a, a therapist and a psychiatrist as well. I see. So you went to the hospital. You were honest with them about everything. Well, I kind of figured they were going to find out eventually. So I just figured, like, why not tell them from the beginning and, and get it over with, you know? Yeah. But you go home that night, but you end up getting doctors to work with you. Yeah. Well, they called They called my parents. Uh, my mom couldn't come, but my dad did. Uh, he took me home. I, I insisted that I wanted to, to sleep in my apartment that night. And uh, mm-hmm. he just stayed with me. And the, and the next day, he took me to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And uh, we just started the process from there. How did your dad respond to everything? How did he react? You know, he's always been kind of this man's man kind of, kind of guy, you know, like, like tough it out and just work through it and, and everything. So he was pretty pissed at me. <laughs> you know, like he was pretty, pretty mad. But, um, you know, I also tried to be open with him about it. You know, I had tried to talk to him about the depression before, but he, he's, his usual comments were, you know, work through it or just tough it out. Mm. But uh, I don't know what he saw in me or what happened that, that day that he just, it kind of clicked for him and he just started to really emphasize, emphasize and just, uh, he just, he just changed, you know? Yeah. Mm. About your mom, sister? They found out later. I asked that my sister didn't find out when she was, until she was better mm-hmm. from her accident. You know, they, they had kind of like the polar opposite. Yeah, you know, at first it was, they were, they got pretty, pretty mad about it. There, there was this, this shock element to it, but yeah, eventually I would say it brought us kind of together mm. a little bit mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it was, it was nice to reconnect with them. You know, like I felt like, I, cause I hadn't never really opened up to them about it because I, at first I tried to open up to my dad about it. And after seeing his reaction, I just didn't talk to them about it. So mm-hmm. it was the first time that I, that I was opening up completely to them. And, and it was kind of this therapeutic expression of, of, of everything I was feeling. And yeah, and it was actually pretty nice. Do you think, and I'm asking you to sort of really speculate here. Do you think that if you had had 
those kinds of conversations before that you may not have attempted? Would that could that have made a difference? I think so. I think that you know when you're young, you you kind of see your parents as as a whole. You know, you don't see them as two different entities. So mm-hmm. if one reacts bad, badly, you you automatically think that the other one will. So I think that's what happened to me. Like like after seeing my dad's reaction, I just automatically assumed that my mom would be the same and that my sister would be the same. So I just mm-hmm. tried to, to to keep it all bottled up until I couldn't anymore. And uh, yeah, no, definitely, I think I think it would have helped. Mm. Do you remember how long? Uh, and I guess this is your teenage years, essentially, because it was twenty when you tried. Do you remember for how long you were? seriously considering suicide did you did you sort of think about that for years or months or was it sort of a quicker thing so so when i moved to sweden i i could i couldn't speak any swedish at all i could barely speak english right so mm. there was this huge disconnection from being in a country where you could like pretty much talk to anyone to feel like you couldn't talk to anyone at all right so mm. uh, i just felt pretty isolated so that's where that's when the depression started. I, I didn't really se- seriously consider ending my life. I just thought about escaping constantly, like just mm-hmm. escaping my own life. There was this weird click where, where I started to, to be able to talk in English, to be able to talk in Swedish and to be able to connect to people in Sweden, to people uh, around me. And then suddenly we went back to Mexico and it was that all over again, you know, because I, I had lost touch with a lot of people. My Spanish kind of suffered for four years that I didn't speak it. So it felt like this other cycle. And that's that's when I... My brain kind of realized. My brain started telling myself that that this would be my whole life forever, just just a, a constant cycle of losing people and being disconnected. Mm. And that's when when the real suicide thoughts began. You know, so I would say from from the age of fourteen to later on. So we're talking about years. Yeah, yeah, pretty mm. much. And you'd said that after the attempt, you got some professional help. Have you had those thoughts since that day at twenty years old? Yeah, it's it's constant. So so I was diagnosed with BPD, with borderline personality disorder. You know, for anyone that's uh, familiar with with the disorder, it's constant. You know, it's you have a bad day and and your brain automatically goes from zero to a hundred with with suicide. You know, like it's not something that that just goes away. It's just like the shadow of the thought is always around the corner. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have BPD, so I can only sort of go by what I've learned from people. But yeah, I know it's a super, super difficult, super difficult. Yeah. It gets better with, with medication that if anyone is going through with it, I would like to tell them that it, with the right help and the right medication and, and the right support system, it does get a lot better. But yeah, it's its own form of help at first. And so you have that, you have the professional help, you take medication and the support for you that all, you have all of that. It, it comes and goes, you know, like, like the support system, my, my support system tends to shift a lot because... Mm-hmm. With BPD, you have this kind of problem where you tend to to see people as either, you know, heaven sent or or awful awful people. Like like the, you live on the borders, literally. Mm. You can't see someone as as just a regular person, as the, at least someone that's close. My support system tends to shift because of that. You know, I, I can't have a normal, just like a normal view of a person. I, I either aggrandize them or or demonize them. You know. Do you? Is that is that really how it is for you? Yeah, like like they they're either like the greatest person ever and they're my favorite person or or they're just like awful awful people. Interesting. Yeah, I could see how that would be challenging for sure. Relationships, friendships. Yeah, they come and go pretty often, and that doesn't really help the depression because it's it's self isolating. You know, you you kind of self isolate yourself because you just don't want to deal with with people and they're they're constant shifting. You know. Yeah, it feeds on itself. Sure. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know anything about uh, the Mexican healthcare system, mental health care. 
and I don't need you to compare it to other places, but do you think that is the care there where it should be? No, not not by far. The, the people that work in the, in the mental health care industry are, are very underpaid. A lot of you know things that I think people take for granted in other in other countries, we just don't have. Mm-hmm. Not like the proper medications or or the proper access to some information. For example, for other them, and and still, a lot of psychologists just in in Mexico just don't believe in BPD. They just don't think that it's a real sickness. You know, a lot of the medication is is very heavily regulated, so it makes it very hard to get. I think overall, there's this culture of dealing with depression through work, you know, like there's still this very prevalent macho culture that, you know, you just have to get through your own mental mental illness by yourself and, and through tough work and just being a man about it. Mm. So that definitely makes it hard to, to open up and have a real dialogue with close people. For sure. You know, How do you say suicide in Spanish? Suicidio. Do they talk about that there? You know, there's it's it's very taboo still. Yeah, I still have this conversation with with my parents, but you, you know, there's this this very like don't talk to to your relatives about it. You know, you don't don't, don't talk to your your cousins or your uncles about it because they're just not gonna take it well. They're gonna see you as less than. You know, mm-hmm. don't talk to your employees about it because they're gonna see you as as unstable. Don't talk to anyone that matters about it. Don't talk to your don't talk to your girlfriend about it because because she's gonna get scared. Don't talk to your friends about it because they're not gonna want to talk to you anymore. So yeah, there's definitely a, a whole lot of taboo around it still. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fear. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. As you were sharing that list, part of me is like, damn. And there's another part of me that's thinking they're probably not wrong. A lot of people will respond that way. It's a really tricky spot. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I, I had this this longtime girlfriend that we were together for four years. And uh, at the four-year mark, I, I felt comfortable about talking to her about it. And we almost immediately broke up. Because she just couldn't deal with it, and I don't blame her. You know, it's it's part of the culture, and it's part of how you grow up in this kind of society where where you're told that you shouldn't have these feelings, and if you have them, you should be isolated. Almost always, that's just going to make it worse. The isolation, yeah, pretty much. It, do you yeah. think there's a connection at all? And I don't want to be offensive at all in any way. Is there a connection at all to Catholicism with all of this? I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe that there's. You know, Mexico is still a very Catholic place. A lot of people still see this suicide as one of the greatest sins that you can commit, you know, which I've always found funny because because I, I find the argument is that God gives you the gift of life, you know, but at the end of the day, a gift is something that you can do whatever you want with, you know, like like if, if you have this gift, then you should be able to, to do whatever you want with it, you know, even even return it or not want it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some tricky stuff when we get to, when we get to talking about religion. It just sounds like that you can't really tell people because if they're going to look at you like that, well, why would you tell anybody? I mean, right. exactly. And do you feel like, so you've got this um, BPD uh, diagnosis and, and you shared a lot about it. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you feel that is a pretty accurate diagnosis. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen uh, two different psychologists and uh, three different psychiatrists. Most of them agree that I, that I, it, it is the right diagnosis for me, and usually the medication associated with treating BPD helps me. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the difficult thing is that, like I said, a lot of people here, like a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists here, still don't believe that it's an actual diagnosis. They don't believe that it's an actual illness. Still, so it kind of gets tricky there. Yeah, I I don't know that much about it, but I think it's kind of the same here. It's a really I don't know if the word's controversial, but yeah, it's an it's a diagnosis that people have a lot to say about. There's a lot to say about that diagnosis. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and the more you learn about it, the, the more difficult it gets. You know, I've tried to, to inform myself about it. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of controversy around it. That makes mm. it even more difficult for the people that have it or don't, you know, to, to figure it out. For your mental health care, your doctors, your medication, is that insurance tied through work or does everybody have insurance there? No, not everyone has, has insurance here. Fortunately, I, I have uh, my family insurance that, that helps cover it. Lucky. Fortunate, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate, but I'm, I'm one of the few in the whole country that, that is that fortunate, you know? Right. So there's probably, a, probably, I'm guessing here, a lot of people who are going through things, they don't have insurance, the care they need, and they are, they're suffering beyond belief. Yeah. Aren't allowed to talk about it. Don't get the care they need. Aren't on medication that might help. I mean, it's just a recipe for absolute, yeah. Mm. No, it's it's awful, and and I think that what makes it even worse is that uh, I recently found out about this because I have a friend that works in in a newspaper. But what they tend to do is that when when they find suicide victims here in Mexico, the papers don't report it as, as suicide; they tend to report it as accidental deaths or or overdoses. Mm. So there's there's this even bigger taboo about feeling lonely because because you just don't don't hear about it. You know, it's not talked about. So you just think that you're you're by yourself when you have these thoughts and that you're, you're the only one that's constantly having these thoughts, you know? Right. Yes. There's no mess. Right. You, you're not getting much. I would imagine there might be some hope for lack of a better word with social media, right? Because you cut the middleman out and people can post things and you can see this person is going through something. Is that, do you have any idea if that's true? I, I mean, that's kind of how I found this podcast, you know, like, like I, I tried to go on social media and find these, these avenues to, to talk about it and try to find people to talk about it with, and mm. and that's how I ended up finding your podcast and, and finding the stories of all of these amazing people. And, and I could finally relate to some of them and, and find this kind of connection, you know, one, one-sided connection. Mm-hmm. So five years, more or less five years after that attempt and you've gotten care and it sounds like it's gotten better. You're searching for the word suicide on social media or on podcast platforms. Why is that? Well, you know, you, you, like I said, you have the good days and you have the bad days. So I had this particularly bad day, but but at least I could, I was able to identify it and slightly calm myself down. At the moment, I just really want to talk to someone about it or just find this connection with someone. So I started to search, like you said, the, the word suicide in social media or wherever I, I thought I could find it. And, and that's how I ended up listening to the podcast and actually listened to like several episodes in a row because I just like needed connection mm-hmm. and I just needed to hear people, you know? Yeah, and and then you went one step further, and you you reached out to me. Like like you said, like you said, I'm the first person talking to you from Mexico. I couldn't find any Mexican people in your podcast, so I thought it might be nice if if people from Mexico, like me, could could hear a voice and and could hear someone from their country talking about it. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I wonder if there's a way to do this in Spanish one day, so that people who don't understand English can also benefit from it. Just thinking about that. <laughs> Well, that's that's a thing too. Like, like there are so few resources for Spanish speakers that don't understand English. So that's part of the tragedy of it all. You know that they don't mm-hmm. have as many resources as people that speak English do. Well, I, I'm glad you found it, and I'm glad that you reached out. A lot of people, you know, they probably wouldn't do that. So, yeah, thank you for that. Well, I, I found that people at least they they want to hear about it. You know, like like maybe they they're not ready to talk about it, but hearing about it at least helps some of them. Sure. So I, I hope I can help through that. Sure, I think there's a far more people who who hear the podcast that are ever than are ever going to necessarily talk to me about it. But you're right; I think it's helpful. 
Now, do you think you've heard, if you heard the podcast, it says that you, you listened to several episodes. So you know some of the questions that I tend to ask. Yeah. You tried at 20, you're now you're 25. I know the future is impossible to predict. I get that. Do you think in the next five years things what yeah, let me just leave it open. What do you think the next five years will be like? Or will there not be even five years for you? You know, I've I've never been able to to picture myself at at 30. You know, mm. I just I've I've never been able to do that. Uh, there are definitely good days. There are definitely bad days where you just like the, the prospect becomes more appealing, more and more appealing. That I've definitely had days where all I wanted to do was go back to that day and actually take those pills and not not go back on it. You know, I've I've definitely regretted that decision. Uh, I don't know. I, I've gotten better at self soothing and self taking care of you know myself. I've I've gotten better at, at, at talking about it and looking for people to help me when I have those feelings. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Right. Yeah. I mean, sure. I appreciate your honesty. So it doesn't sound to me like you have a lot of people in your life, and I don't either, by the way, to talk to about difficult moments. It sounds like you said your words, good days and bad days. When the bad days are bad, are there people in your life to say, hey, let's talk, let's go for a walk and, and be honest with them about what's really going on? You know, there are very few people that I feel like I can be 100% honest with, like very, very few. I like to think that I'm always looking for more people to add to that circle. It's just hard to know who to trust, you know, because you, you just don't know when, when opening up might mean someone leaving your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you say that a few times since we started talking about people leaving your life. It's part of BPD, you know, like like when you have BPD, it's it's very tough dealing with losses, dealing with people leaving. Mm. It's it's very easy to create these codependencies with people that that you just like feel like you need them in your life, you know, yeah. and so the the prospect of them leaving or or scaring them away just makes it harder, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what you've shared, it sounds like you have some bad days that you are maybe thinking about it, and I'm wondering what stops you from doing it. It's usually my sister, you know, like like knowing that I have parents and a sister that would be pretty sad if i if i did it because mm-hmm. i've seen them be very sad when i try to do it mm-hmm. that, that's usually enough to stop me you know just thinking about them but um you know there i can tell you there have been times where the only reason i didn't do it was because i just didn't have the access to to the tools that i felt like i needed to you know i just didn't have like access to, to a particularly tall building or like the drugs that i thought would help me do it so mm-hmm. yeah it depends right and you felt that way recently not so recent, you know, in, in the past few months, I've, I've had more good days than bad. But yeah, I can definitely tell you that at the beginning of the year, uh, it, it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough going. Yeah. How many people know that you're talking to me? Uh, not many. I think just a couple. Just yeah. a really close friend and, and my sister. And how many people know about your attempt? Sister, parents, anyone else? Sister, parents, and a couple of really close friends. And that's, that's it. Right. That makes sense. Do you work? Yeah, I, I work. Mm-hmm. I work. I actually have a pretty okay job. Right. So, so you actually are you actually like taking an hour off from work as we talk here? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Good. Somewhere in Mexico City is Santiago. Are there any myths around any of this stuff that you want to talk about and maybe cold bullshit on? Yeah, I think a couple. I just you know, first of all, the I think the biggest one that suicide is a selfish act. I don't think it's, I think sometimes the, the true selfish act is, is wanting people to stay alive when they really don't want to, you know, when they're in pain, we don't empathize enough with the people that actually want to commit suicide. 
we we call them selfish when we don't really try to empathize with the pain they're feeling and and how much pain does a person have to be in that that they want to actually take their own life you know mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's something we don't talk about we don't talk about enough and uh, I think that we underestimate the power of connection I've found that when I have been trying to or I've I've thought about killing myself I'm just desperately lonely you know I'm just looking for connection so maybe we should talk more about it we should be more open to talking about it and, and maybe we should try to find a, w- a better way to to communicate with others you know like to communicate with, with people that are, are in this kind of pain i think that people just want i think most people just want a connection you know at the moment that they're trying to to kill themselves i think that's why we have we have people calling or, or people you know famous last words or, or writing suicide notes i think they're just trying to attempt some sort of connection you know Mm. So I think if we were actually more open to connecting with people that are in, the, are in this kind of pain, we could actually lessen the people that actually go through with it, you know, if that makes any kind of sense. It does, yeah. When you talk about connection or you said talk with people who are in that kind of pain, in your experience, are there certain things that you would suggest people do or perhaps not do in order to, I don't know if the words create connection, I'm thinking more of just creating that space for people so that they might feel a little less shitty or a little more connected. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that in my experience, one of the worst things that you can do is, is actually tell someone like, you know, you have so much to live for and you have so much to look forward to because at the moment you're not thinking about the future or, or actually the future is one of the reasons why you want to do it, you know, like, like the future just scares you or, or, or you don't even want to think about it. So I think just not even look for an explanation, you know, just try to talk with the person about it you're like well, what are you feeling and, and tell me about it and and maybe not even talk about it you know just try to distract the person you know just like tell me about your day tell me about something that makes me ha- makes you happy you know i think we're so desperate to look for answers that or, or to make someone feel better by talking about the future that we forget that that they're in in the present that's when they're feeling hurt you know the mm-hmm. pain that they're feeling is, is from the present and and maybe we should focus a little bit more on that because when you tell someone that that's suicidal to, to think about their future, I think you're actually just scaring them more. You know, like you're just. I think some people don't don't want to think about their future, and and that's one of the reasons that why they're trying to kill themselves. You know. Mm, yeah. Did you grow up Catholic? Yeah, I, I grew up Catholic, but but I'm atheist now. You stopped. You're done. Yeah. When you were thinking about ending your life, and when you did try, did you think that was it, or or there's afterlife? I, I, anything? Nothing. I hope so. I hope that that it was it. You know, the idea of of either going to hell for what I've done, or having to to be reborn and having to go through it all again, just made it worse. Like I I, I didn't want to think about that. I just wanted to stop being and stop existing. I, that's yeah. that's what I hope the afterlife was just nothingness. Yeah. You ever go back to Sweden? I haven't. I haven't. But I, I'd like to. You know, just to revisit and see what's up there. You know? Yeah. What do you do when you're not working? You know, I, I usually try to, to read. I'm a pretty shy person, so I usually just read and stay by myself. Maybe mm-hmm. go to the movies by myself. I, I, just, I don't usually um, socialize that much. No girlfriend? No, no, no girlfriend right now. And you live, are you, are you living alone? Yeah, I'm, I'm living by myself right now. In the city? Yeah. Gotcha. All right. I wonder how many other people out there in the in Mexico City are uh, not necessarily like you. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but have some similarities 
and maybe they've tried or they're thinking about it. I wonder how many people are out there because what does Mexico City have like 15 million people? I don't, I don't know the actual number, but yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, it's probably more than, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily more than I think, because I assume that there's a lot of people that feel that way, but there's a lot. Yeah. And, and you, and there's not, there's no real way to know that or find them or connect or. Well, that's, that's the issue, you know, because people are so afraid to talk about it because of all the, of all the taboo around it. So that's, that's the issue when you're trying to connect. It's, it's, there are not really that many health groups out there because people just don't want to think about it you know yeah and the ones that do are too afraid to actually talk about it so so it becomes this this cycle of just ignoring the problem instead of addressing it you know yeah and i mean do you think you're doing what you can do to take care of yourself and doing something like this um though given that it's in english i'm guessing you know there's probably not a ton of people in mexico who hear this podcast uh perhaps I mean, do you think there's anything else you or I can actually do realistically to change this thing where people, this taboo? Well, whenever I get the chance to talk about it, I try to be as, I measure the room and I, and I take measure of who I'm talking to. But if, if I get the chance to actually talk about it and open up about it, I, I try to do it because I don't think there's enough people here talking about it and, and enough people bringing light to it. So I think it's, it's very important that we do. And whenever I, I have the possibility to talk to someone that I know that has gone through something similar like me. Uh, I try to be open with them and, and, and share what I've gone through, you know, because I find that that helps, you know, that kind of connection helps. Yeah. And as you say that, I'm wondering, are you, it's always tricky to understand or figure out why someone is the way they are. I'm assuming in part, the reason you're open to talking, I mean, you've gone through something. You wonder if I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but if they had gone through what you've gone through, maybe they'd be a little different about it. You know, maybe they wouldn't be. uh, I don't know what the expression is. Walk a mile in someone's shoes kind of thing. Yeah. As as judgmental, right? Right. Like if you've gone through it, uh, I'm sure it doesn't always work out this way, but if you've gone through it, you'll see it differently. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Very differently. But short of that, if you don't have that, if the people haven't gone through anything similar, I don't know how to bridge that gap. I mean, you're doing what you can do, and I think it's very noble. Really, it is because I mean, particularly in, it's from what it, from what you shared sounds in some ways even more taboo than here. So the courage it takes to talk about it, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I like to think that even if I'm not here anymore, you know, whenever that happens, at least people can can listen to this and feel less alone. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious because we talked about, you know, that you never thought that you were going to make it to 30. And you had mentioned that sometimes the only difference between trying and not trying was having or not having the means available. I don't judge, man. I don't. And uh, my role is not to tell anybody what to do or not do. But it sounds like it's going to be it sounds like it's challenging. Let me leave it at that. It's a challenge most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not candy coat it. Yeah, we are not here to bullshit one another or anybody else, right? But if I can just like you know get a message across that uh, as tough as it is, you know I, I believe that sometimes it can be tougher and 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 things sometimes can get better. You know, I'm not trying to say that that it will get better or promise that it will get better because I don't even know that. But like I said, if you have the proper treatment and the proper help around you, you will have more good days than bad eventually. And and the bad days will still be bad. We'd be awful. The good days will also be there. Yep. What else would you like to share? Perhaps there was a question I didn't ask. Anything else? 
just let people know that they're not alone here in Mexico if they need if they need to talk about it. You know, they can just reach out and and hopefully they will eventually find someone to talk to about it. For sure, hopefully. I appreciate you taking the time off of work and connecting with me. Yeah, man. I hope your days are. I hope your days are decent. Thank you, man. Yeah, I hope yeah. so too. All right, Santiago. I'll talk to you soon, man. Take care of yourself. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Santiago down in Mexico. Thank you very much, Santiago. And I should add, if it wasn't clear, in the introduction when Santiago was listing off things not to do, he was not telling people what they should do. He was referring to the stigma. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. You can also leave us a recorded message and I love recorded messages I'll put a link on how to do that in the show notes there's also a couple ways you can support us financially if you have the means and interest we could absolutely use some help as we try to expand reach more people share these stories and another way you can help I know I ask a lot of you if you rate and review this podcast Suicide Noted on the Apple Podcast platform more people will find this podcast and will hear these survivors and their stories. Help me with that, please. That is all for episode number 117. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.